This podcast is brought to you by Enrollment Resources, Innovations in Enrollment Management. Learn more at enrollmentresources.com. Welcome, everybody, uh, on behalf of the New York uh, Coalition and Terry Zaleski and my partner, Shane Sparks. Uh, I'm Greg Meekeljohn with Enrollment Resources, and today we're here to uh, give you uh, uh, seven or more tips, actually, uh, low-cost or no-cost ways that you can lift your revenue last minute for your January intake. So this talk today will be very practical. And uh, so take lots of notes and save your questions up. And then at the end, we're happy to answer them either via the chat box or you can uh, unmute yourself and you can dive in and and ask us questions that way. So uh, without further ado, um, I'd like to uh, introduce uh, uh, my uh, partner, Shane Sparks. Shane, uh, you're going to tell the folks a little bit about enrollment resources. Great. Yes. Welcome, everybody. So I'll keep it super short. So we're um, uh, leaders in enrollment management broadly. So we focus, a lot of our efforts are focused on Internet marketing campaigns. We have a division that does that. We work with about 40 school groups across the country, and we're their Internet marketing department. So we have some insights on, from that perspective on what helps generate more leads very ineffective, or effectively and inexpensively. Uh, we were the first, as part of that, first marketing company to be certified by Google as a professional partner. That was uh, some time ago. And uh, this is the thing they're probably most proud of, or at least I am. And that's that we've never aggregated a lead in our history. And it's important because, at least from our lens, the sector has gone through you know many transitions, but one of the most dominant ones was this kind of growth and then subsequent decline of the entire lead generation sector which created a huge amount of mess for everybody. And we've never been a part of that kind of dysfunction. So we're really, really proud of that. Um, and, and probably the, the value that's most interesting and relevant today is really we're a test and measure kind of a company. And so we focus a lot on both R&D, finding best practices, figuring out things that are going to help move the needle on increasing enrollment. So that's the perspective we bring today. Thanks, Shane. That's a very professional, concise description of our company. It's like you're kind of like a partner in the company or a co-founder. I am. That's good. <laughs> so now I'd like to introduce uh, Terry Zaleski. Many on the call know Terry as the leader of the New York State uh, Career Schools uh, Coalition, Coalition of New York State Career Schools. And Terry... Uh, I'd like to just talk about state associations as, from our perspective, how valuable they are. And um, to really, it's it's kind of the glue that holds the whole um, career school sector together, in our view. And Terry is one of the senior uh, executive directors within this um, conglomeration of state associations. And, and he is really... Uh, seen as kind of a, a dean, if you will, amongst uh, his peers. And so I'd like, before we start our part, Terry, I'd like you to talk about sure. uh, you, your coalition and state associations and um, yeah, how they're so the, important. For the folks from New York, you know, they'll 
they'll know some of this drill already. Uh, for those that might be on the call from other states, uh, you know, you can listen and hear a little bit about what we're doing in New York, uh, which is not that different than what's happening in many other states. But quick, quick and dirty here. Um, actually, this is a special year for us, for the New York State Coalition. Uh, June 2015 marked our 70th anniversary. 70 years, that's seven zero years uh, serving career schools in the state of New York, uh, which we believe may actually establish us as the uh, longest continuing operating trade association of our type in the entire country. Uh, we were trailblazers back in 1945, and we've tried to stay on the cutting edge uh, all the years since. And uh, when I say 70 years, uh, that is, if, if you go back to the State Department's records, you'll actually find a continuous trail of name changes here and there, uh, but the organization actually does stretch back 70 years, and we're quite proud of that. Uh, we work very closely uh, with our schools on all types of issues and matters and concerns uh, that they have. Uh, we try to you know, provide a, a great deal of uh, direct assistance to schools uh, as they need it. Uh, you know, right now, in terms of some of the projects we've been working on, we work with our state education department uh, for what will be a, a more participatory process in developing uh, what the state characterizes as their policy guidelines. Uh, these are um, um, ways of the states doing business and, and, and having our schools do business that you know are not uh, do not rise to the, le- to the level of state regulations, but they have the power of, 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 uh, of law in many ways. And so uh, we're working right now on developing with our deputy commissioner a new way for us to have greater input into the process of developing those guidelines, and, and, and we're excited about that. Um, at the federal level, you know, we don't just work at the state level, but we also are very active at the federal level. We've been, we've been working uh, on behalf of our Title IV schools in dealing with uh, restoration of ability to benefit at that level, and, uh, you know, certainly, you know, we've been very active with gainful employment issues and, uh, you know, trying to see what we can do about uh, reducing the impact of that, rolling that back, trying to get that maybe uh, incorporated as part of the Higher Education Act reauthorization process instead of where it is right now, which is really problematic. And, and finally, in terms of our, uh, our association and other associations, I mean, we're, we're like the union for the schools, uh, we are the school's collective voice in the legislature, in the state capitol, and uh, in Washington. Uh, we're also the voice for the schools in the, in the um, state education department and at the state and federal level dealing with the regulatory agencies. And, you know, uh, we're not alone in this. As uh, you guys mentioned just before, you know, we, we are sort of like the glue that's out there in many states throughout the country, you know, there are counterpart organizations and a lot of good colleagues that I've worked with for many, many years in so many states. Uh, but, you know, just California, Virginia, Florida, Texas, Pennsylvania, Ohio immediately come to mind. Done a lot of work with those folks, a lot of good associations throughout the country. And, you know, all of us, um, you know, work very hard for our schools, trying to provide immediate responses on issues that come up, answering their questions faster and better than the state might be able to, and uh, getting answers to schools' questions on uh, no-names basis. So, you know, we do a lot. And that's so, the quick so theory on us. So the membership, Shane, must be hundreds of thousands of dollars to 
to get so much value, wouldn't you think? Uh, well, yeah, I would think. This is a hugely valuable service. It is indeed that. And if anybody looks at membership prices for the New York State Association, go to our website, uh, cnyscs.com. It's the best bargain around, I guess, because uh, our, our rates haven't changed in over 20 years. <laughs> How about that? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, there we go. We're pretty so if you're not a member, you're crazy, and you should be a member. And Join a state association. Immediately. Yeah, and yeah. other state associations likewise. If you're not a member, your state association should get involved. Okay, folks, you, you've got the word now. Let's go and, uh, Terry, let's go make these guys some money right away here. Most important. Let's do it. All right. So, Shane, we, what we have for folks are these uh, tips that are low-cost, no-cost tips that um, folks can adopt. And they should see a, a lift, like right away, in terms of the number of students that they're getting. And so, there, a lot of people have a January intake, so this is timely. Mm-hmm. So, tip tip number one is to take the voicemail system away for the reps. So, I guess what that means is they uh, a lot of schools. What they'll do is they'll uh, the receptionist or the call center will take the information and then they'll send it to voicemail or take a message. And um, But what we're saying is that's a bad idea, hey? Yeah, well, there's two problems here. There's two common scenarios. One of them is that, that, uh, you know, the, the person's come in and they've they tried to transfer it to the rep, the rep's not there, and they hang up. But the other major problem, too, is just voicemail in general. Like, voicemail is the enemy of conversion. It's the enemy of revenue. I did a quick tally. So in our campaigns we run, we use call tracking numbers, and and every call that comes in gets listened to and audited by our auditing team. And they track whether someone got voicemail, and they track whether they left a message or didn't leave a message. I just pulled at random 25, no, sorry, 30 calls. And guess what percentage, Terry, guess what percentage of people hung up when confronted with voicemail? I'm going to guess about 75%. Greg? Well, um, I know who's calling. They say it's sixty-one percent. So, well, in our small sample, it's eighty-three percent. Wow! Yeah, it's yeah. brutal. Brutal. And these are calls that are coming off an advertisement for the school, right? So these presumably are people interested in attending school. Mm-hmm. So what happens on the on the on the front end is that eight. Point three percent, eight out of ten people are going to hang up. And if you think about what it costs somebody to generate that call, usually the cost of generating a call is well over a hundred bucks. So you can visualize your staff burning hundred dollar bills in front of you. That's one way to visualize this problem. Or, or else you could visualize taking some a, a really good bowl of soup that you put all kinds of effort into and expensive ingredients and taking that soup and flushing it down the toilet. That'd be another way. That's actually the more optimistic way to look at this, though. It's, it's actually much worse. Because, you know, most phone calls convert higher than... Um, like an internet lead, because you're talking to them, right? And having somebody phone you is one of the indicators of a quality lead, and thus the conversion rate's higher. Most schools convert telephone inbound telephone calls above 10%. So you could argue pretty easily that of these 
eight calls that hung up, one of them probably would have enrolled. Now, what's interesting here is that of the ones that do leave a message for an admissions rep, either directly or either through uh, a receptionist, and they make it to the, the voicemail of the rep, um, then the rep phones back, and inevitably they're not around. You know, folks have heard the term voicemail jail or voicemail tag. Uh, the, the connection rate is, is really low. So even if it does make it through, it's not going to help. And so we've done calculations, and it's like it, it just can conceivably add two, three, four students a month per rep. Mm-hmm. My gosh. Well, well, it is. And so you, you either lose them on the front or you lose them where you've got, it's kind of like you have the, you know, the fishes in the boat and then hops out of the boat. And so awful. We don't want awful. any fish hopping out of our boat. No way. <laughs> Terrible. So the solution is super easy. Empower your your receptionists to book appointments for your reps. Yeah, give them the calendar. Yeah, give give them the calendar. So if uh, a prospect calls in, typically they get the reception. I'll push you through to admissions. Boof, it gets sent off. You know, may or may not actually get a real person. Why not just have your admissions or your reception team? Um, find out if a rep's available, and if they're not, say, hey, uh, why don't I schedule a time for you to come in and meet with the admissions rep? Or as a plan B, hey, why don't I schedule a time for you two to talk? I want to make sure that you connect with Greg. He's, he's an awesome guy. Um, you know, He's going to be able to give you a bunch of information that will help you as you try to make your decision around whether school's right for you. What's a good time for you to talk? And schedule that as an actual meeting not let it vaporize into the voicemail ether. Soup flush down the toilet. Okay, tip number two. Um, we find that admissions reps will spend a lot of time just wasting their day away. And, uh, and so really the regulatory noose is tightening around um, incentivization of reps. Um, and, but we, what you can do is you can instruct reps to spend the day uh, focusing on high-value activities. So this is a very simple little system. Each rep, uh, their goal is to do 80 points in a day or 60 points or whatever you, you set. Let's say it's 60 points. And a rep gets 20 points for a, a meeting uh, or a meaningful conversation on the phone. They get seven points for setting up a meeting, and they get one point for uh, sending an email or leaving a phone message to advance things along. All the other busy work they do, they get no points. So the, if somebody has three meetings in a day, they've nailed their 60 points. And then if they have time to make some more phone calls, they can bank the points for the next day. If a rep has no meetings in a day, then they have to use those other two tactics of reaching out and talking to people to book appointments to go and build their 60 points. It's a, self, uh, a self-imposed um, productivity system. It takes a lot of pressure off of the DOAs and the owners of schools, and it allows the reps to have some fun and to self-assess as to how productive they are in a day. Terry, what do you think of that idea? 
Oh, interesting. I mean, it uh, it certainly gets the um, you know gets the reps more involved uh, it, rather than just sort of spinning from one thing to the next. They're they're focusing on okay, maybe I'm having an effect with this. Maybe I'm doing something that's constructive here. Sounds like a good good suggestion. Good, folks. If you get your reps on this right away, um, your uh, revenue will increase within a month. And this, this is just Great their own self, their own self assessment, basically. This is just yeah. their own, uh, you know, mo- motivate. It's also like a motivating tool for them for them to keep track. So of it's, it's a tool to keep them focused, right, Shane? Well, that's it. Can I share a quick story on this? Yeah, far away. So just yesterday. I was speaking with uh, a, a client and, and his uh, director of admissions who's pretty new in the role. And we were talking about breaking down big goals into smaller goals into activities. So the example was, hey, we need to enroll 10 people by whatever a month from now. We're four weeks out from a start. We, we're short 10 on our budget. And that really the manager's job is to, is to help a, a admissions person break down big scary things into manageable things they can control. So we said, okay, we, if we need 10 students, then we're going to need at least probably 20 to 25 appointments, right, in order to mm-hmm. get those 10 students. In yeah. order to get those 20 to 25 appointments, we're going to need to make, I don't know, 200 phone calls, 200 or 400 phone calls, right? And mm-hmm. because we're not going to connect with a certain amount. The rep then can say, well, I've got to make... 400 phone calls, i got 30 days to do it, I break that down, or 22 working days, I can break that down into a granular, specific daily goal. What all sales analysis or admissions analysis always shows is that activity begets results. And when and people get derailed on that because they get hung up on bigger goals that they really can, inf- they only have influence over, and it's and it creates paralysis. So this point system is a, is a system designed just to get people fix it, focused on daily activity. Activity. Yeah. That when you stack them up, get to the overall objective. The the, the more you stay focused, the more you do, the more you'll get. Yeah. In hockey, in, in hockey terms, uh, when somebody staples you on the boards, good hockey players keep their feet moving, and then they move their their way through a check. Mm-hmm. Another obscure analogy from Greg. Tip three, Shane. We are friends with Velocify Lead Management System, and they came out with some seminal research around the best uh, chances of connecting with prospective students when you have to reach out. Yeah, it was fascinating. And there were two, I remember when we delivered this research with them, and there were two really standout insights from this. The first, so they, to set this up, they have literally millions of leads in their system aggregated amongst many clients, and so they're able to pull very large samples of data and do analysis on, on different aspects of um, uh, admissions. And so they looked at time of day, the contact rates based on time of day. And what they found was that as you progressed into the evening, contact rates continued to go up. Um, In particular, at 8 p.m., the contact rates were 42% higher than the um, baseline, the average. And so what this, you know, if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. 
if people are working, most people work during the day, even if it's at a menial job they don't like, they're still working. And for education represents a, you know, an improvement over an existing situation. What's interesting, though, about the Velocify research, um, people were saying, you know, you might reach people at 7 to 8 p.m. and Sunday, for that matter, yet, um, you know, people will be annoyed at uh, dropping the call. They drop the call because they're annoyed at being bothered in the evening or on Sundays. But, in fact, the opposite happened. The, these calls are, uh, like were averaging, like, 50% longer than the other times. Yeah. So that's really just proof that when somebody reaches out to learn more about a school, they have emotionally and psychologically taken a big step. And I think as long as you're loaded with really good value that you can go and share with people, um, you, you know, you're not bothering people. You're trying to help them change their lives. So what you're suggesting is that for folks that have callbacks, these this, these would be potentially prime times to call back if they don't have a scheduled time. Yes. Yeah, we have a, a thing we're going to give away today. It's called a stale lead survey, where we we get the school to uh, we send out an email uh, to their so-called stale lead database and. Hey, what could we have done better? Hey, are you still interested in going to school? And it's amazing the number of people that say, yeah, please call me. Uh, we're going to give one of those away um, at the end of our talk. Okay, can I talk, Yeah, can I speak on Sundays just for one sec? Yeah. So the the research on Sundays was really compelling as well. Because almost nobody does calling on Sundays. And the major objection, as you said, was, oh, no, they're going to be, you know, nobody wants to get called on a Sunday. That's like the relaxation day. But as, Greg, as you mentioned, what they found is the contact rate was the highest by far of any day of the week. And the length of the calls was more than double, meaning they were having more meaningful conversations. And we took it to mean, or we took it to the, the cause of that to be people are, more relaxed, they're re- and so they're more receptive to these kind of conversations. You get somebody who's a parent, and you phone them at six, and they're trying to get dinner on the table and homework done, and you know logistics of life settled. They're not going to have time to talk to you. You get somebody when they're uh, in a quieter, more reflective moment in their life, they're more able to have a real meaningful conversation with you about major life changes. Good insight. Good insight, yeah. Seven to eight and weekends, yeah. particularly Sunday. Okay, tip four, use a reload question. So here's how, here's how this works, you guys. Uh, you, you have um, somebody on the phone. Say every ten people uh, that you talk to on the phone as an admissions rep, six to eight will say, agree to come in for a tour. And two to four will say, no, just send me the information. And so what happens is you say, okay, and you send the information, and it turns into a black hole. And then back to the telephone tag that we spoke of in tip one happens, and you lose them. So here's how a reload question works. And just write this down. It's very simple. And if you do this, each rep will add one more student a month um, forever. And this is what you do. 
you do this. Uh, hi, um, yeah, I'd love to send you some information. Um, people always have questions, always. And, you know, we both hate phone tag. Can I just rebook you into a, a meeting for 15 minutes or so a couple of days out? And uh, if you have no questions, it'll be like a 30-second conversation. So now I've just come out of that role play, you guys. That That is what the scripting you use for a reload question. And here's the byproduct is you get a second shot at those those guys. The people asking for the information tend to come out on the quadrant as more analytical. They're more reticent. They're slow. They, they accumulate information slowly. Uh, I'm one of those guys. I drive Shane nuts sometimes because I plot and I, I'm just accumulating information. And impatient reps will just say, fine, and they blow those people off. But they're excellent candidates for students. They just need a little more repetition. So that's a reload question. That's how you well, deal with an- analytical people. Well, and I think there's another, um, th- this would also fall under the category of importing a best practice from a different sector. Mm-hmm. Here's, here's how. In, in business-to-business selling, um, telephone meetings are regularly scheduled, right? You, you don't, it's not always I'm coming in to see you. It's often can we schedule a call to talk. In career education, for some reason, phone calls are almost never scheduled, it's always impromptu, and the goal is always to get them in the door. Whereas, as Greg mentioned, that works for a small portion of the population who's maybe really ready to buy, is a more expressive, outgoing kind of person. But if you get a more deliberate, analytical, or um, amiable, it's called, personality, that they need more nurturing before they're ready, they need more information, they need to control the pace a bit more. Scheduling phone calls kind of honors their uh, honors their way and it's a and it's a tactic that is widely used in in most um sales environments there's no reason admissions teams can't use the same principle good insight good insight um well said um now speaking of importing from other industries uh if you guys go in and use this tactic again you'll lift your revenues like right away um, so your admissions reps, your career services people, what have you, they leave phone messages all the time. You know, there's some schools, the reps are leaving 30 messages a day. There's others that are more of a phone mail. They're leaving 70, 80 messages a day. Point being is it's a lot. And so what Shane and I talk about is what if we take that phone message and we reframe that? And we reframe that phone message as a radio ad. It's just a 15 to 20 second radio ad with an audience of one person instead of 10,000 people. And so if you buy into that notion, you guys, then what we can do is import the best practices from direct response marketing, which is the, the, the base of it is called split testing, which is what we use in everything we do here at Enrollment Resources. And you just start split testing your phone messages, and you keep track. And so the first message you leave, you maybe a hundred, and you say, "Okay, I had eight people phone me back." In in direct response terms, that's called a control. And then the game that the reps get to play is they get to try to beat the control. And through tr- about six or seven renditions of trial and error, 
they can improve the number of people that phone back, like maybe 5%. Now, Shane, 5% on the surface doesn't seem like a lot, but it is a lot, isn't it, if you do the math? Oh, it's massive. Let's do it real quick. So if I'm, sure. a, if I'm a rep and I'm on average, I don't know, leaving 30 messages a day. Okay. Voicemails. So, sure. you, know, you know, in my outreach. And I, uh, times, what's 22 working days, right? Yeah. So 30 well, times 660. 660. And I can yeah. get 5% more people to call me back. Yeah. Right? That's what, 33 conversations I am having that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Oh man, so you reframe it that way, that's a big deal because if even 10% of those 33 people turn into a student, that's like three students a month. 3, 3.3 times, I don't know, 12 grand? What's uh, 3 point, let's say 3 times uh, 12,000, well, that's $36,000 times 12 yeah. months, that's, uh, what's that, a bit over, just... Uh, half, half a million bucks? Yeah, 400, yeah. Per what, per year? Per and then, year. You, you know, they have 20 grand, it's more. Yeah, so, <coughs> excuse me. So that's huge. What is he, and Greg, what's it cost to split test and try new things? Nothing, Shane. Nothing at all. No, nothing at all. It just requires, all it requires people to do is to keep track of how many people call back and even on an old-fashioned piece of paper, and then just play that game. And it has the added benefit of it not only has the admissions rep doing their good work, but it has the admissions rep um, becoming a, a laboratory uh, for performance. And it gives them a sense of self-control and, and a sense of controlling their destiny, which then creates motivation and staying power for the rep. Mm-hmm. Helps with their emotional health, right? What what does? I hadn't thought about it that way. I think the 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 thing that the psychology that's underneath this is that we as human beings are habitual, right? Our neural pathways. When we do something once, we create a little neural pathway, which is like a little trickle in the ground. You know, it's a tiny little rivulet that starts to create a path, and is and. And it doesn't take very much repetition to get into to a habitual or a pattern of behavior. And voice, leaving a voicemail is a good example because it's, it's a routine kind of a thing. So I, oh, hey, it's Shane from ABC School. Well, boy, I'm hoping to talk to you. Give me a call back or whatever it is. I'm pretty much going to say the same thing over and over and over again once I establish that neural pathway if I'm not challenged to change it. And that's why you get stagnation because we just we're wired to be habitual, and if the if the habit isn't challenged, we're never going to change. We're always going to do it the exact same way, and we're always going to get the same level of performance we've always gotten. So we we want to really flush that stagnant water down the toilet, right? Well, that's exactly it, and and really, I I view personally management's role as a as challenging everything. It's trying to fight that habitual stagnation everywhere you can because that's where the innovation lies exactly that it's like taking those little rocks on the beach and looking for the little sand crabs um tip six and terry we're going to talk about embracing the seven magic minutes and and you're wondering what the heck is that (laughs) 
Okay. Uh, well, we'll I'm find gonna, out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to explain the seven magic minutes, and I'm um, guessing that Shane might weigh in here. So, so we had a sales trainer who was saying you have to, once you get someone on the phone, you have to move them into that meeting as quickly as possible. And we called BS on it and said, no, no, you can't do that. You need to um, use the seven magic minutes. And uh, the the sales trainer was looking at Shane and I like we were growing horns or something. And uh, and so we had to explain. And that was um, uh, what we did is we ran some original research where in our mystery shopping, um, we one of the questions we ask is, uh, would you be willing, that you, are you asked to come in for a tour? And did you say yes? And then we also track the length of the call, uh, anywhere from one to well, fifteen minutes, kind of thing. And um, and then we ran a correlation. And interestingly, we found that the very short phone calls, um, the agreement to come in for a tour, was really low. But the uh, the long phone calls, the agreement to come in for a tour was really really high. And so what we attribute that to is taking the time to actually on the phone build a relationship. And so what Shane and I talk about is that when somebody reads an ad or a landing page or what have you and they they make a little leap, they put up their hand or they pick up the phone, that relationship between the prospective student and the school is literally hanging by a thread and so it's very tenuous and weak. And so what we want to do is, you can try this at home. Take a piece of thread, break it off, and then you'll see it's very flimsy. And then get another piece of thread and kind of with your fingers, roll it in with the other piece of thread. And you'll see that you take those two threads and you pull them together. And the tensile strength is more than double. It creates a kind of a exponential um, improvement in the strength of the what is now a little baby string. And so one of the ways you can add threads to that relationship to make it stronger and more connected is you can ask really juicy, high-quality questions about their lives, their goals, their dreams. Why are they thinking of going to school? You just get to know them a little bit on the phone, and, and you just make it all about them. People are starved for attention, and they just want to be recognized. And and so by taking the effort to asking just a few good quality questions, you establish a deeper connection with that prospective student. Um, I'll, I'll take it into another section here, another, another area. Because sure. this is exactly, I mean, it doesn't just work for schools. This is exactly the technique that we use when we reach out to prospective vendors and service providers that we want to come to our annual convention so that when I reach out to enrollment resources to talk to them about what it is that you know might be helpful and why they should come to New York, we engage them in dialogue about what enrollment resource is all about, what sort of work do they do, what do they have that's new and on the cutting edge, and then how, that could, how they could take that and bring it to New York. So... And if, if we were to just say, hey, you should come to our convention in New York, would you be interested in coming? No, nah, that's not going to sell. But we take that time to develop that phone relationship with you. So we're doing this too. So really, uh, Shane, what Terry's saying is it's, it's all about empathy, isn't it? 
Well, it is all about empathy, and I think part of this is also credibility. And where, like when when we've listened to calls that tend to be shorter, that are shorter and have a poorer kind of book tour rate, usually they're um, aggressive and promotional. So it's something like, hey, Greg, well, let's get you in to have a meeting. You know, you're going to love it here. We have an awesome school. And they kind of give a soft pitch on the school, and they're just driving to get you in. And then I would say, go away, Shane, I hate you. Well, in New York you might, and in other parts of the market you might politely say, okay, thank you, or you might even say, sure, I'll come in, but you have no intention of coming in. Ah, yes, even worse. Right, so you get false agreements. And and there's two problems. One is when you're transactional in nature, you create a transactional kind of relationship, which is almost no value, right? Two, when you were blatantly promotional at the front, if I say to you, for example, oh, you're going to love it here, it's BS. I don't know if you're going to love it here or not. I don't know anything about you. So I'm just promoting, which immediately hurts my credibility as an admissions person because I'm not a... I'm not a trusted advisor to you. I'm just someone trying to sell you something. And yeah, so, so really what it's about is it's about um, just pursuing the truth. The, the best uh, admissions people are the people who are willing to just stay objective or stay in that question with that prospective student for as long as humanly possible, whether it's on the phone, whether it's by way of letter or in person. And staying in that question, um, it it has the uh, um, it's the, it's counterintuitive, but oddly enough, it leads to fantastic conversion rates. Because for one thing, the admissions rep they get reframed from being a vendor, as Terry alluded to, to being a, a trusted advisor. And when somebody settles in on somebody who's a trusted advisor. All those other admissions reps out there who are nipping at the person's heels get just washed away. Mm-hmm. They're not needed because now the prospective student has a trusted advisor, which creates a uh, disproportionate odds of success for the school. That's exactly okay. right. Yeah. Okay, let's move on, guys. Okay, uh, everybody, this is just a quick summary. Uh, we have voicemail. We have uh, the point system. We have reaching out um, and split testing. We have reload questions. Um, we have seven magic minutes. Um, and then, you know, this is just, we, we've run a little math for you, but this is just a, a very basic example of if you take one or two of those ideas, um, say a rep is working 100 leads a month and they're converting at, say, 7%. Uh, and there's a $20,000 ticket to their education. Um, and we can, through using those little uh, tips that we just suggested, um, you can take that from 7% to 9%. That means that one admissions rep will increase the revenue of your school uh, for $180,000 per year or a 28% lift. So that is just putting a point on how these tiny little process improvements um, can help. Now, uh, Shane, you know, I promised folks uh, seven tips, and we've only given them six. But then we kind of got going crazy, and we've kind of got 13 tips. So 
we have another seven tips to share you guys. Um, I don't know, Terry, should we give folks uh, 13 tips instead of seven just because we're decent oh, Canadian guys? Or? What the heck? I mean, we're good guys. Why not? Okay. Shane, let's blast through these. Um, so speed to lead. It, your common saying is that um, that Internet leads have the, uh, uh, the life of a fruit fly. Do you, do you care to expand on that? Yeah, I, I think it's, it might even be less than a fruit fly. So every, all research that has been done, and numerous people have done research into this, it's shown over and over again that the faster you phone an inquiry, the more likely you are to get them on the phone. And to the point that you know, big schools have machines that they're trying to get, get somebody on the phone within 30 seconds of submitting a lead form. So whatever your system is, if you're not calling somebody within about a minute, you, it's costing you revenue. So there's a you know there's different technologies out there. There's a company in California called uh, Speak to Leads that has an inexpensive and a very effective tool for this. Um, Velocify software they've got this built into it. I, I assume some of the other systems do. Usually if you're a small school, on, sorry, go ahead, Shane. I'm interrupted. Oh no, no, that's fine. Um, usually, almost always, some type of technology is better than just the good intentions of calling them right away. Because so, he, so Shane, here's a hack uh, that folks can use, like, the moment they hang up. Um, you could get a dedicated cell phone and have all the leads going to the uh, Internet part of the, the smartphone with a little audible cue, and then have folks um, just passing that cell phone around as just a, a little cue when an Internet lead comes in. And folks can take turns responding to them. Yeah, that's like a, a low tech little hack, you know. Yeah, if it's a problem, it's it's a problem worth solving, and it almost certainly is a problem in your school. Okay, good one. Um, this is a quick tip I'll share. Um, y you know, uh, search engines, uh, Google and Bing, uh, essentially um, rep have replaced the classified sections of newspapers, and then. To put a point on it, Craigslist and Kijiji and these kinds of guys have replaced the classified section of the newspaper, and people will tend to go to Craigslist or what have you before they'll go to the newspaper. So get a little in, in turn to just find different spots on these places and uh, put in your, your start dates. It's like super cheap, and uh, it's a tertiary. Uh, t it's a tertiary tactic, but low cost, low return, and uh, but it's worth doing. Can't hurt. Okay, uh, tip nine: well thought out sales letter to your stale leads. So Shane, what is a better for a sales letter to have it short or to have it long? Whenever we give these talks at conferences. Almost everybody says a short sales letter is better than a, a long sales letter. So what do we say about that? Well, we say that short is wrong and that longer letters usually pull better with the caveat that they're well-written and interesting. And, so, and the way to think about it is this. You can persuade the majority of the people a little bit 
to phone you back or respond, which gets nobody to respond, right? So I, I, I persuade you a tiny little bit through, uh, hey, we've got a start date coming up, enroll now, which no one's going to respond to. Or we can, we can persuade a smaller percentage of people 100% of the way so that we actually get them to respond to us. And how we do that is through a compelling letter that speaks to their pain, speaks to the benefit of taking action, invites them to take an action that's, that's reasonable. Meaning, if you bomb out of enroll now kind of a message, no one's going to do that because enrolling now is a huge step psychologically. And it bypasses the entire admissions funnel pretty much by asking somebody to do that. But if you invite them to schedule a uh, conversation with the rep or schedule a time to get a tour or attend an information session, something that's a smaller step, they're way more likely to respond to that. And in front of that, if you, you give some compelling information on graduate success and testimonials and great things employers are saying and, and how the field you're training in is growing and there's, there's labor demand and you back it up with fact, you're way more likely to get a response rate off a letter. So what you're saying is that what you're saying then also, the, the, the converse of that is if you've got uh, a, a list of stale leads, uh, a simple postcard outreach to them saying, well, you were interested, uh, but we haven't heard from you. You may want to come back. It's, it's probably not that good an investment. No, it could be something more like this. Hi, I'm the president of so-and-so school. Uh, I appreciate your interest. Uh, you're considering a life change that's right up there with having children, buying a home. And this letter is really important, so I'd like you to turn off your phone, get yourself a cup of coffee, and sit down, because this could be the most important letter that you'll ever read. Yep. That's another way to reframe yep. it. Yep. Yeah. So uh, another way to think about it is, um, as Shane was saying, enroll now. It's like uh, you could use a dating analogy where, let's just say this, if your, object if your objective is to have a really high-quality, meaningful relationship, um, it's probably better to go uh, ask someone out for a cup of coffee and then, you know, progress that to a walk or a movie rather than just going into a bar and behaving like a like a fool, right? So, maybe You're so diplomatic. That's such a very nice diplomatic way to use that analogy. <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> Tip 10, let's move on here. <laughs> um, okay, so this is a, a little bit controversial, uh, and it's a bit esoteric. Allow me to set the stage here, you guys, and then I'd like you to weigh in. So... Education is like hotels. Education is like the airline. The moment that airplane takes off and is in the air, if there's 20 seats in that airplane, those 20 seats make that airline zero revenue. Uh, the moment that day flips over that, and there are empty rooms, that hotel has zero. So if it's possible, it is better to take, uh, when you hit your intake date, rather than having, I'll use an example, 15 full seats uh, and five seats that are empty, uh, would it be better to have 15 full seats and five seats that are full but really expensive business to bring to, to, bring to the school? That's really the question. And so the notion is it's better to have a full house 
uh, full intake and fill those last five seats however you can than to just uh, have empty seats. And so there's a couple of examples of how to do that. One would be um, when you hit your break-even on your intake, consider uh, urgency-driven types of media to drive people to fill out those last seats, like radio, as an example, using burst campaigns. Hey, there's eight days left. Uh, we're starting our nursing program. Um, come on in and have a look. Check us out. Some version of that kind of an ad. And... Um, and so those ads, those leads could be like $350, $400 a lead. They're really expensive. And it could be three, $4,000 to go and, and uh, uh, bring in a student and just destroy your, your budgets for marketing. But Shane, um, that still is valuable. Oh, it's hugely valuable. Uh, can I give another example? Yeah. Uh, well, because that's where the profit is. The profit's not in, you know, breaking even is breaking even. The profit is in the last, whatever it is, 20, 30%, 40% of the start. Mm-hmm. Another example in, in that analogy is what we characterize as creative financing. So a portion of your prospects who want to do it can't get packaged for whatever reason, right? They're just, they, I don't know, they have. Uh, past a loan, there's some, they're disqualified from financial aid, something. So why not self-finance those, some of those last few seats, knowing that only a portion of that debt will get paid back? Right? Shane, that's, get... in, that's insane, Shane. That's crazy. <laughs> Hear me out. Okay. Because some money is better than no money, and, and assuming you've got a fixed cost kind of business, like if you're a culinary school or something where there's like variable cost attached to a student, you know, it might not make sense for you. But if the, if the cost of running that class is the same, whether there's 25 or 30 people in it, and five of those people are basically students you're taking a flyer on and hoping they pay you back, and even if they only pay you back a third of what they owe you, that's... Uh, Twelve times five—that's um, twenty grand in revenue off that start. You wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So what you're saying is, if people are applying uh, and they they can't get packaged for student funding because their their beacon score or their family is too wealthy but not wealthy enough to self finance, or they think they fall in those gaps, then what you say is, you say, look, hold on. And once we hit our break-even point on our intake, then I'll invite you in. And, um, and, and then what you're saying is if they have a five-year uh, payments plan or something like that, and you have someone like TFC managing the receivable for you, and they halfway through, they, uh, they cut out and they stop paying. Yeah, you well, well, got... like it's like a standby list, right? You know, the... Uh... Where you, you, you try to fill the intake until the last, the, the entrance, uh, like the cutoff date, and then you accrue a standby list. And the standby list are, can't get packaged, but otherwise good people and good prospects that you let in. Got it. It's like at a nightclub where um, guys are always made to wait. They're like on the standby list. Maybe? No. Bad analogy. Okay, let's move on. Um, tip 11. 
let's turn our career services people into business development specialists. So there's schools like University of Phoenix and what have you uh, that will go into the uh, employer area, and there are organizations that have huge pools of money available uh, to have their employees go back to school and retrain. Uh, like in the Canadian military, if you're in for 20 years, 80% of any post-secondary education you take for you or your family will be paid for by the Navy, in the case of the Navy. And um, so that's an interesting uh, way to reframe um, your relationship. It, all the business doesn't have to come in from uh, advertising. It can come in kind of through a lateral channel by way of your career services reps. And it's very simple just asking your career, letting, sorry, having your career services reps let employers of your graduates know, hey, we have another intake. If you know somebody that you really love their attitude, that you'd love to have working in a role, send them to us. And uh, it's amazing how many referrals that you can get. And Greg, what does a business development person do? What's that job? What's that mean? A business development person is uh, is a hybrid between a uh, a salesperson and a marketer, and so they uh, will go and um, set up uh, relationships with complementary organizations where referrals will come streaming in on a steady basis. And I would argue it's maybe the most valuable role going because, the, as folks know on the call, the referrals are like a 35 to 50% conversion rate. And it also doubles up as strengthening the relationship with the employers of your grads. It really um, solves several problems for a school. Mm-hmm. So that's what a BDS does. Hey, there, there was one um, uh, a, a comment that came in, and I just I was hoping to get Terry's opinion on it. Uh, Terry, the question, question came in, there might be a possible compliance issue with self-financing students? No. No? You have to, the, the, issue, the issue is one of, uh, uh, at least in New York, everybody in, the, in that same class, everybody in that room has to pay the same amount of Money on their enrollment agreement. If the course is twelve thousand dollars, everybody has to be paying twelve thousand dollars. I mean, that's that's the price of the course. Now, how much of that you actually collect? Well, that's that could be a head scratcher, I suppose. And I think that's what you're saying over here. Yeah. Um, it's not that the person is going to be paying less or that you're giving them a break. It's that you expect them to pay the full amount. You expect them to. Uh, uh, to graduate and, and, and pay the entire amount. Uh, whether they do or they don't, it's hard to say. Uh, they might have a TFC um, uh, uh, financing uh, process, as you had mentioned, uh, which, which might help. Uh, and, and then you just have to see how it goes. The, the bottom line is they're paying the same. They, they, they're at, they're at, they have to pay the same amount. Great. Okay. Good. Good. That's good. You're not, look, you're not looking. You're not looking for last minute discounting for the people to come in and fill the class. That's not what you were suggesting. No, no not good. at all. I know. That's that. correct. I hear that. No. Awesome. Good. Okay. Tip twelve. We're almost done, folks. Hang in there. Um, you heat up the marketing, and you love your accepted applications. So um, we run uh, research 
on people who have accepted applications but drop, what we call pre-start cancels. And what we found is that around 20% of the pre-start cancels get pulled away at the last minute by a competitive school. And so what often happens with schools is they have an accepted application and they go, okay, I'm banking on that person starting. But when a competitive school catches wind of that, they go, oh, there's a motivated student who's been qualified financially and uh, they're ready to start. And then what the good competitive schools will do is they'll turn the heat up and they will try to bring that student over to their school at the last minute. In the meantime, you're none the wiser. And boom, they don't show up for school. And it's like, what the heck? And so a little marketing campaign that runs from when the uh, application is accepted to when that student starts school is a, a really good thing to do. Well, that's also defense against uh, you know buyer's remorse, right? The, or... Um, ne- really negative self-talk and anxiety winning. Yeah, exactly. And then the extension of that, Shane, is uh, segues to tip 13, and that is to run what we call an emotional health check with new students one week once they've started school. And what happens there is, most of the drops, Terry, they happen within the first month of a program, right? And, yep. and often people will bail out due to an irrational reason or they're scared or they can't do this. Or, and they just need some loving and some, uh, some nurturing to go and, and, or help. There's a little problem that's derailed everything. And it's just some nurturing and some support will help settle that those jangled nerves, get them grounded, and then we'll take that person who bails and forever is working at McDonald's or what have you. No disrespect to McDonald's, but, uh, you know, it's like these little tiny decisions we make in our life. That's an important decision where somebody's life can go sideways. So, And, and the ter- emotional health check could be what? What would be an example of that? How to execute on that? Well, we have this um, software, actually, uh, called Canary in a Coal Mine, and it's basically a fun little survey that folks do, and uh, uh, the teachers, the faculty deliver it in the first week of school, and uh, it just basically allows somebody to um, anonymously um, state that they're having troubles or they want to talk to somebody. Um, It's just a way to engage and draw people out. So I would say a little little survey they could do would be the best way to, to go. It's a very simple kind of thing to do. So the canary in a coal mine, for those that don't understand their Welsh history, is the uh, um, Welsh coal miners in the 1800s were dropping from methane poisoning. And what they determined is that canaries were much more sensitive to methane poison than humans. So they would the, the miners would bring the canaries in their little cages down with them into the mine, and and if they saw a uh, a canary keel over, boom, they would all take off uh, out of the mine, save their lives. So that's a a bit of a twisted analogy, perhaps, but uh, one. yeah, and an interesting fact. So, if nothing more, you can leave this talk with an interesting fact to share with your family over the holidays. Yeah, get some eye rolls at the at the dinner table there. Um, so we've got in this part of our little process, uh, speed to lead, 
posting stuff on Craigslist and other online um, classified sections. Letters to stale leads should be compelling and rich and thick and juicy and long. Um, you want to break out your um, your break-even point for your intake and then your profit intake, and you market to those differently. You turn your career service people into business development people looking for referrals. You um, really nurture your accepted apps right to start and love them and nurture them. And you, at the beginning, you really want to have a systemized emotional health check for your, when students start. So now, you know, that should improve the conversion rates a couple percent per rep, another 480000 per annum. So that's $960,000 per year per rep. And... Um, if you take some of these uh, little tips, you guys, and put them to work. Um, now, Terry, we're going to give away a free stale lead survey. Uh, so, folks, uh, here's what I'd like you to do. If you're interested uh, in jumping in for this free survey, you just um, text uh, the, your name and uh, school to the following phone number, 250 Six nine three one, two five zero five eight eight six nine three one, and uh, the first person that uh, sends in will give you a free stale lead survey. Now, Terry, before we uh, go to questions, uh, if we have any questions, do you have any final words? I think we got some good suggestions out here, uh, which can help uh, help folks with the process of uh, of. of bringing in a few more students, and uh, also retaining those students that are, that are there. And, and I think the uh, item to the end was particularly significant about uh, you know, keeping track of the emotional health of the, the new students that you've come in the door, because if you're able to keep somebody there, that's money in the bank, too. Very important. Often. Yeah, it's addition, track of that. addition by subtraction, yeah. yeah. So, hey, well, Terry, I've got, a, I've got a question as well. well done. At, the beginning, at the beginning of the talk... Um, you made it clear, hey, we had to deliver. We got New Yorkers on the call, and they're impatient, uh, you know, show-me-the-money kind of folks. Was this valuable? Did this help? Well, I'll tell you on January 30th. <laughs> oh, that's for an answer. It's <laughs> a good New York answer. <laughs> Actually, so now, yes, quite, no, I'm, I'm, I'm being uh, facetious. Certainly, the, the, the suggestions are, to, to me, seem, you know, Spot on, valuable, and uh, are, are really good, uh, really good, you know, valuable suggestions for folks to consider. And uh, I, I would be curious, though, to hear if uh, anybody really tries to put this, some of these uh, into effect, if they might have some impact on a little start here and there in January. Hey, oh, that would be, would be great them. feedback. So, so, gentlemen, we have some questions from our audience. I'm going to just share them out here. Um, this is a question for Terry, I think. Uh, don't most states have dialing restrictions preventing us from calling past 8 p.m.? And he's speaking about new leads. Um, yeah, I, don't, I don't pretend to be an expert in that area. Uh, you know, education law as opposed to consumer, <laughs> consumer phone-ins on things like that. Um, I mean, they, they've, done, they've, done, they've made the initial. This is not cold calling. Keep in mind, yeah. right? I mean, this is not cold calling. I mean, this is this is following up on somebody's outreach to you, 
right? That's so correct. An, yes. an initial lead. I mean, someone has expressed some interest. Now you're following up. So they've opened the door to your responding. So, I mean, some of the issues that might be out there with cold calling, that doesn't exist. But, you know, in terms of the time, I think it's a matter of, you know, being reasonable. On yeah, the, the Velocify research. Um, Shane, what was that again? 7 to 8 p.m. or... Oh, they yeah. went all the way up to 11 p.m. We've because our view was that probably eight's a good cutoff. Yeah, uh, but it 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 continued from basically 5 p.m. on. The contact rate increased every hour hmm. through through the evening. So whether it's 8 p.m. or 9 p.m., I I think the caller may have adjusted this to 9 p.m. Uh, you know, I I wouldn't want to get a call at 10 p.m. from a school. I'd be fine with a call at 8 p.m. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's like let's be reasonable. And by extension, another person asked about Sundays. Do you want to be calling people Sunday Sunday morning? No, um, but maybe in the afternoon, you know, one to four o'clock, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. That you, you just want to be reasonable and um, and be respectful. Um, there's a question: Is skyping and chatting a good way to connect as well? Hmm. This is a contentious. I I don't know if we know the answer totally. Um, I think this is, in a way, a contentious um, new school versus old school kind of a question. So, uh, Greg, do you mind if I start? Yeah, far away. Okay. So, old school admissions is no way you got to get them on the phone. And uh, you know, there's some value in that, in that you need to talk to somebody at some point. Like you can you can dance around with texting and emailing for a while, but at some point there needs to be a conversation. Many schools, though, do have success booking appointments uh, through text and through um, email. I don't I don't know if Skype is uh, one that's widely used. And those appointments are showing. I think they show at a slightly lower rate. There's so you, there's some attrition if the people actually showing up on campus. But if you're marketing to millennials, you know, young people in particular, they live on their phone and they're typically um, much more reticent to talk on the phone, especially to a stranger. So here's one place where you can use text very effectively. So you've set, appointments been set. And one to two hours prior to the meeting, you have a text sent out saying, hey, look forward to our meeting at 1.30. Coffee's on. Got some cookies waiting for you. We'll have some fun. See you then. Something like that. And what will happen is, um, hey, see you then. Text back or okay. Or, oh, I totally forgot. And then you have a rebooking opportunity. And uh, so what we've uh, we've learned through texting is that's a tactic that you can really um, use consistently to improve your show rate. So texting, there's a woman named Jerry Proseshka who runs texting, and she would be worth reaching out to. She could help out. Here's another question. Um, and I'd like to answer this or start. Uh, what are some voicemail messages that you found to be effective when you've done your split testing? And the answer is, I don't know. And, uh, and it really harkens back to a bigger question, and that is, if there are any marketing companies or sales gurus that have some fixed big idea that you're to follow, 
then Shane and I would encourage you to run away as fast as you can from those people because they will just mess things up for you. So Shane and I are not purveyors of the big idea. We are not the coming down from the mount with the, the big uh, the big thing here. But what we are adept at is testing. So here's an example. There's a guy uh, with Travis College named Jim Jameson, and we he was split testing to, to, with people who had missed meetings, and there were 35 people on the call. It was like a group thing we were doing testing all different schools. It was like a workshop. And he said, well, here's what I've landed on for um, people that have missed blown meetings. And it was something like this. Hey, this is Jim from Travis College. You missed your meeting. When you get serious about your life, give me a call, okay? Click. And that was his message. And he just got ripped by all these people on this call. How could you? That's so rude, blah, blah, blah. And then finally, after the, the, the throttling, somebody said, well, what's your success rate? And he said, 86.5%. 86.5% of the people who blew the, the meeting rebooked. And he held his conversion rate. So that's Shane. Oh, no, I know. I remember that one. Yeah, no, it's hilarious. Now, part of it, as I recall from Jim, was he was a pretty um, assertive, uh, you know, alpha male kind of guy, right? Kind of mm-hmm. football coach kind of a personality. So for him, he could totally pull it off. Call me when you're serious. You know, he had that kind of like coach, coach Jim kind of energy. So it like suited his personality. There were, you know, the the nice people that are nicer. Uh, they couldn't pull it off because it didn't match who they're, they're kind of the core person they are, which really speaks to your point around testing. You have to try different things. Um, we have one, I had this conversation recently with a client, and, and one thing that was working really great for him was, hey, I've got some great news. I need you to call me back as soon as you can. So he used like enthusiasm and curiosity as a way to try to, or to get more people calling back. And that, you know, that tactic worked for him, didn't work for everybody. Yeah, and then there's a lot of ladies, they have that den mother energy going, um, and it's, uh, that seems to work well. Mm-hmm. So it's an, I'm, the answer you're getting is a lame answer, I know. They're participant, but that's the truth, is uh, each one of your reps has to find their way through split testing. Um, and, and they'll find their own, each one will pretty much find their own way to deliver their, their little personal script with that little extra energy or twist or what have you that uh, that they'll come up with themselves, and that's what will make them a good rep. Well, that, yeah, cause, yeah no, that's exactly right, Terry. And, and part of, you know, we're... Allow me. Career schools are ultimately really in the mothering business in a lot of ways, right? Like we're we're working with um, students that typically have not thrived well in other more institutional kind of environments, and that the personality and the care and the mothering's our word, you know, use a different word, but the maybe the personality, the culture, the the feeling that one gets from the organization is hugely important. And so when we overscript things, right, and make them too institutional, we're really sucking the soul out of our 
organizations and hurting our competitiveness. So, you know, Greg and I have a saying, go to the flame. I'd encourage everybody on the call, go to the flame. Go to, go to the thing that makes you wonderful and unique and special. Don't try to hide it. Embrace it and, and, and uh, make it more pronounced. And, and to that end, you know, we had another call about the, the, the length of sales letters. And um, what you'll find are a lot of schools use this kind of manipulative, salesy kind of language on landing pages uh, or in sales letters or cutesy, cryptic kinds of approaches. And what we advocate for is within sales letters or landing pages or advertisements or what have you, is not to set out to manipulate or persuade, but set out to fully inform. And you fully inform to the point where you actually can uh, speak to some of the issues people may have, like daycare or financing or what have you. You actually speak to it in your written communication. And again, what that does is it, it's respectful, and it gives uh, it, it's ethical and moral, and it gives you... Um, an air of respectability because you're being transparent and fulsome in your communication. So if anybody wants to call and have us have a look at your sales letters, uh, you could just set up an appointment through Paul or Jody. That would be fine. We're happy to do that for you guys. Um, but Shane, I mean, you have deep skill in this area. Um, do you care to you know, an example, two examples came to mind of kind of using personality, and I think these are ads everyone would have seen. So you remember the Remington uh, razors commercials that probably advertised heavily in the early 90s? Uh, you know, the, hey, I, I liked the company, so I bought the company. You know, I like the shave so much I bought the company guy. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was an example of using kind of personality and values in your advertising. Or like the, the men's warehouse guy, the, uh, you're going to love how you look, I guarantee it. Right? You know, it's got the bearded guy with the deep voice looking sharp and the, you know, you're going to love how you look, I guarantee it. That's an example of someone using their, their personal charisma and their personality to impart trust value, you know, the guarantees are always great. Like, those are kind of mass market examples of that. That makes sense? That, that makes total sense. And so, I guess really at the end of the day, that's a really good segue before we jump off here, is, you know, there are many, many ways a business can make money, and people in the school industry are really beyond money. They're beyond um, the transactional nature that they are really about changing lives and improving the lives of, of uh, the kids that come in all messed up and they come out crisp and sharp and they've they're, you've taken them up the next level and the, and by extension then those people who are in the school industry become stewards within the community because they're seen as doing well by doing good right and um and I would encourage the senior people with the school to really get back to those core values and really push the business equation aside and ask yourself, you know, if money wasn't an issue, um, how would we communicate what's 
important to us and and have those core values bleeding in into all your marketing and have the core values bleeding in, into all the communication that your reps are um, sharing with prospective students and intention I can go and I'm getting new age on people I apologize but intention can go a long 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 way um, in helping uh, a school uh, optimize uh, their, what they're doing and I think uh, to that end, you guys, I think we're over an hour, so we'll just uh, probably best to jump off. Uh, Jody, are you there? No. Oops, sorry. Yes, I am here. I'm actually going to unmute uh, all the participants in case there, there might be a question or two someone wants to deliver in person instead of by chat. So one second. And let me thank you. So, folks, so Feel free to leave, folks, and then uh, if you want to hang out for some informal conversation, that's great. Uh, Terry, any final? Just uh, thank you very much. I appreciate your, you know, sharing these uh, suggestions, you know, with us. I mean, you guys have been working on this for quite some time. You're you're masters at it, and uh, you know, I'm, I really uh, appreciate the opportunity to share this with our folks from New York and you know, elsewhere around the country too. Terry, thank you so much for uh, hosting.